Well, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. We'll be spending our time in Romans 13, 1 through 7 this morning. And I mentioned last week how providential I believe it is that we are in this portion of Romans at this particular moment. Two years of preaching through the book of Romans has landed us in the passage where Paul instructs Christians about the way we are to respond to the governing authorities just days after an unusually contested inauguration. Paul's situation, of course, was quite different from ours, but that makes his instructions more poignant and powerful, not less. Because Paul was a citizen of the Roman Empire in the time of the Caesars. It was this very empire that crucified Jesus. It was in this very empire that Paul was arrested and beaten and imprisoned. Paul did not live in a democracy. And it was much more dangerous for him to be a Christian than it is for us. And yet, this is what he says about how Christians should respond to the governing authorities. Let me read for us Romans 13, 1-7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Paul's main point in this passage is that every Christian must be subject to the governing authorities. And it is essential that we bear in mind what Paul is doing in this section of Scripture. Ever since chapter 12, verse 1, Paul has been telling us how we are supposed to live now as Christians, as those who have received the mercies of God. He said there at the beginning, I appeal to you, the beginning of chapter 12, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual or reasonable worship. And and when he mentions the mercies of God, he's reminding us 
that though we deserved God's wrath and judgment because of our sin and our rebellion, God sent His Son to take our place on the cross, that Jesus bore God's wrath in our place, and that now everyone who has placed faith in Christ has been justified, which means our sins have been forgiven, we've been counted righteous by God, and now there's no condemnation for us. We've been given God's Spirit, and one day we will be raised bodily from the dead to live in a new, renewed creation in the presence of God. And all of that we have received by mercy and by grace. And so Paul says, now that God has done that for you, here's how he expects you to live. He expects you to give your whole life to him. Your whole life is to be dedicated to him as an act of worship. You're a living sacrifice. And that means, Paul has said, loving other Christians It means loving your neighbors. It means loving even those who persecute you. And now he says, yes, that also means submitting to those in authority over you and paying taxes. All of that is part of what is expected of us as people who have received God's mercy, as people who call ourselves Christians. So the first thing he says here, again in chapter 13, verse 1, is he gives us a a universal command for Christians. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So those authorities that God has put in place over us, all of us are expected to submit ourselves to those authorities. We are to do what they say. We are to recognize our position as those who are under authority. And the reason for that is really clear. Right? He says, for, because, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, the reason why you are to submit to the governing authorities is because the governing authorities have been put there by God himself. And this is not just Paul saying this, though that would be enough. The whole Bible testifies to this. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it says of Daniel praises God saying, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings And he sets up kings. Daniel said that even though he was living in exile under a king of a foreign nation. God is the one who sets up kings. And God is the one who removes kings. Later in Daniel 4.32, Nebuchadnezzar is told, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. It was given to Nebuchadnezzar. And then when Nebuchadnezzar was arrogant, God took it away from him for a season. And then once Nebuchadnezzar had been humbled, God gave it back to Nebuchadnezzar. God is the one who puts kings in authority. When Jesus stood before Pilate in John chapter 19, John tells us, Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? He was asking Jesus a question and Jesus wasn't answering. 
Pilate said, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus did not say, no, you don't. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So those who are in authority, whether we're talking about Pilate or Darius or Nebuchadnezzar or King David or President Biden or Obama or Trump or Bush or whoever, those who are in authority have been put in authority by God in that time for that season. And so, Paul says, we are responsible to submit to those authorities because submitting to those authorities is part of how we submit to the authority of God. It's a little bit like whenever you uh, ask a babysitter to come to your house to watch your kids while you go do something and you tell your kids while we're gone, this person's in charge. You do what they say. If they tell you it's time to eat, you eat. If, you, if they say it's time to go to bed, you go to bed. You don't argue. right? And when we get home, we'll find out. And if we find out you didn't do what they said, you're going to be in trouble. And if your kid disobeys something reasonable, the babysitter said, they've not only disobeyed the babysitter, they've disobeyed you. right? The ultimate authority, right? That's kind of what Paul is saying. God has put these people in their positions of authority, whether you're talking about the governor or the president or whoever. He has put these people in authority. And so if we disobey them, we are ultimately disobeying God. That's why he says in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. You're, You're not just resisting Men or some man-made system, you are resisting a system of authority that God has established. And so your rebellion is not, if you're rebelling against that authority, it's not just a rebellion against men, it's ultimately rebellion against God. And and then he says, what we would expect at the end of verse 2, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's how it works. If you rebel against God, you get in trouble. Do you kick against his, uh, you know, word, his plan? You suffer the consequences. So, we need to start here when we think about governing authorities. We start here. That as Christians... Part of our responsibility is to submit to those that God has placed in authority over us. Now, there are exceptions to this, and we'll get to those in a little bit, but we can't start there. If we start with, well, what about this, what about that, then we're not yet where we need to be in terms of our, um, our heart, our will, our posture toward God and his authorities that he set up over us. If, if uh, one of your kids is about to be old enough to drive, they're about to get their driver's license, and you're talking to them about speed limit and, and whatnot, 
and you say, no, okay, you you got to obey the speed limit. You gotta you gotta do. You gotta follow the law. You gotta follow the rules. Otherwise, you can get hurt. You can get in trouble. You get pulled over. You get a ticket. All these kind of things. If the first thing they say is, yeah, but what if it's an emergency? What, what if the people around me are going faster than you? Okay, time out. You're not ready. If you're starting with the exceptions, if you're already looking for an excuse to break the law, you're not ready. Similarly, if we come to a passage like Romans 13, and when we hear, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, if the first thing we say is, yeah, but what about, but what if they say this? What? Time out. That's not where we start. We need to start with, this is what God says our normal posture toward those in authority is supposed to be. We are supposed to submit to them. The exceptions will come. right? But we've got to start with, this is the way things ought to be normally. Right? There are crazy things that happen that require different responses. There are emergencies. There are exceptions. But those are not the norm. And so they ought not to be the normal part of how we think about our response to the governing authority. Our default response ought to be, they say we're not supposed to do something, we don't do it. They say we are supposed to do something, we do it. Because God has put them in authority, and part of how we obey God is by obeying those God has put in authority over us. Now, how does this work practically? Look at verse 3. Paul explains further. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Now, Paul is not naive when he says this. He knows that not all authorities do the right thing all the time. Paul himself has been the victim of unjust treatment. He's been arrested and beaten and imprisoned and run out of town and all the rest. He knows there are exceptions. He knows this is not always the way it works. But here's how it works in general. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Police officers generally don't pull people over for driving at the speed limit. If you are obeying all the traffic laws, typically, they're not going to mess with you. They're going to leave you alone. Generally speaking, if you do what you're supposed to do, you don't have to worry about those who are in authority over you. They don't come harassing you, messing with you, picking on you for no reason. Typically, If you're running into trouble with those who are in authority, it's because you're doing things you're not supposed to do. That's generally the way things work. Now, again, there are exceptions. Paul's talking about the way things generally happen. Generally, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So, he says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. If you don't want to be nervous when you're driving all the time, drive the speed limit. Use your blinker. Stop at stop signs. You don't have to be nervous because nobody's going to bother you if you're doing what you're supposed to do. And then he says something that might surprise us, especially if we remember that as Paul's writing this, 
He's living in the Roman Empire under the authority of a Caesar, and those people were not always great people. Right? Look at what he says in verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. Caesar, the servant of God? Yes. Pick your least favorite president from the last 30 years. The servant of God? Yep. For your good? Yes. What does Paul mean by that? Not that they are consciously, deliberately serving God. Most of them are not. What he means is, by exercising authority and generally leaving the people who do the right thing alone and punishing those who do the wrong thing, he's actually doing what God wants done on the earth. They're serving God, whether they realize it or not. What does he mean by them being God's servant for your good? Well, just this. Over, I mean, there are lots of things we probably could say about this, but, but let's just focus on, the, on one basic point. It's better to have someone in authority than not to have someone in authority. We've had glimpses over the last year of what it looks like when there is no authority. And it's not good for anybody. One of the reasons why we have police, governors, mayors, presidents, Congress and courts and all the rest is so that we will have a reasonably well-ordered society where people know they can't get away indefinitely with all kinds of wickedness and evil. Those authority systems keep those things in check. And by keeping them in check, they serve God and they serve us. They do good for us. Then he says, the second part of verse 4, he says, But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So if you are doing the right thing, Paul says, you don't have any reason to fear those who are in authority. But if you're doing the wrong thing, yeah, you've got reason to be afraid. Because those who are in authority have been given authority to pass judgment on those who do wrong and to execute punishments on those who do wrong. That's why he says he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, and why he says he does not bear the sword in vain. The authority that God has put in place is not just a figurehead authority. It has teeth to it. It has the right to deal out punishments to those who do wrong. Even death. That's what swords ultimately were for. And 
when he does that and does it rightly, Paul says, he's actually carrying out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. We saw this last week as well when we were reminded that it's not our job to seek vengeance against anybody who does us wrong, but vengeance belongs to the Lord. If we say, well, what about the evil that was done? Does that mean nothing is going to be done about that evil right now? No. Hopefully something will be done about it right now. That's one of the reasons why God has put these people in authority and handed them the sword. So that even now, people will come under the wrath of God. They will experience the wrath of God against their sin through the work of those God has put in authority. That's another way in which they are servants of God. Again, unconsciously most of the time. They're not aware that they're serving God by doing these things, but they are. That's why God has put them there, to put a check on those who do evil. Therefore, Paul says in verse 5, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So we've got two reasons there why we should submit to the governing authorities. One is because if we do wrong, we're going to experience God's wrath at the hand of those who are in authority, and we don't want that. No one wants to come under the wrath of God. If you want to avoid the wrath of God, you do the right thing, and that includes doing what the governing authorities say to do. And the other reason is for the sake of our conscience. Our conscience, right, warns us and tells us when we are doing or have done the wrong thing. And so if we are doing the wrong thing, even if we don't get caught, we know we're doing the wrong thing. And you don't want to have to live with a conscience that's always telling you, you're not supposed to be doing that. Shouldn't have done that. That's not how you're supposed to live. You want a clean conscience? Obey God and obey those God has put in authority over you. Now, there are exceptions to this, and we need to talk about those too. When is it okay for us not to obey the governing authorities? When, in other words, can I disobey the governing authorities and have a clean conscience? Is that possible? It is possible in limited circumstances. There are not many exceptions to this. There's really only one, though there are two sides to it. The exception is when rulers punish those who do good or reward those who do evil. When rulers tell us not to do something God has told us to do, right? If they say don't do something and God says do it, then we obey. If they say do something and God says don't do it, then you disobey. Those are the two exceptions. And we see these exceptions in Scripture. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, we read from earlier. There's a law made up. You can only pray to King Darius for 30 days. What's Daniel to do? Well, he's going to keep praying to God. And he didn't hide it. 
Right? He prayed in front of an open window. Everybody knew Daniel was a Jew. Right? And they knew he prayed to the God of Israel. Daniel kept doing what he knew he was supposed to do. And he got thrown in the lion's den for it. But he disobeyed the governing authority when the authority tried to tell him not to do something God had told him to do. Similar thing happened to Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 2. Remember, a, a huge idol was fashioned, and everybody in the kingdom, when they heard the music play, was supposed to bow down to this idol and worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. God is very clear. You're not to make any graven image to worship it. And not to worship idols. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. But they didn't obey the governing authority when the authority told them to do something God had said not to do. In the New Testament, one of the clearest examples is the apostles in the early chapters of Acts. They're told not to preach in the name of Jesus by those who are in authority. What are they going to do? Jesus sent them out to preach and to teach and to bear witness. So Acts 5 says that they were told, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So they kept preaching. They were beaten for it. They were put in jail for it. But when they got out, they just kept preaching. Now, notice what all of those examples have in common. None of them used violence in their resistance. But all of them persisted in doing good, doing what God had told them to do, and they trusted God to take care of the rest of it. Peter tells us this is what Jesus did. In 1 Peter 2.23, he says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But listen to this. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's the example that we are called to follow. Evil rulers do not give Christians a pass for disobeying all the rules. Nor does it give us freedom to respond to evil deeds with evil deeds of our own. Remember, we are not supposed to respond to evil with evil. Instead, we may only disobey governing authorities when it is necessary in order for us to obey God. And even while we do so, we must still seek to overcome evil with good. That is the clear, universal testimony of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Now, if you wonder why it works that way, why it makes sense, we, we've seen it in Scripture, but, but how can we make a clear argument about why this is so? 
Thomas Aquinas puts it this way. He says, the divine order, the way God has set things up, the divine order requires that a lower power not be obeyed in opposition to a higher one. As even in human affairs, a governor is not obeyed against an emperor, nor a bailiff against a king. And every human power is set under the divine power, so that no human power should be obeyed against God. That's the way it always works. Right? At every human level, and at the divine level, Aquinas says. You always obey the higher authority whenever there's any conflict. And so if there's a conflict between what God says in His Word, what's clear in the Bible, and what worldly authorities tell you to do, you have to go with what God says. But on just about anything else, we're required to do what the governing authorities tell us to do. Now that gets really practical in verses 6 and 7. Paul says, For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Now as much as you know, we may be inclined to grumble about having to pay taxes and whatnot, taxes are not an evil. They are a good. Right? They are used for our good. Right? At least they're supposed to be. Most of the time they are. Right? They're supposed to be used for our good. And Paul says that paying our taxes is not merely a civic duty, it is a spiritual duty. In this also, he says, they are servants of God, attending to this very thing, attending to the collecting of taxes, they are serving God. And as living sacrifices... We are to pay our taxes as an act of worship to God. And not just taxes, but he says in verse 7, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So you pay taxes. You give respect. You give honor. To whomever you owe it. That's part of your spiritual worship. That's part of how you live as a living sacrifice. And if we wonder, well, who are you talking about? Who do we owe honor to? Who do we owe respect to? Peter makes that really clear in 1 Peter 2 in a passage that's remarkably similar to Romans 13. Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, hear this. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We're supposed to give honor, show honor to everybody. Everyone's made in the image and likeness of God. Everyone's to be treated with dignity, value, and respect. In particular, he says, honor the emperor. In our case, that would mean honor the president. 
Honor the governor. Honor all those who are in authority over you. One thing that we have to be honest about here is if we quote this verse to people about honoring the emperor, honoring those who are in authority, if we quote that verse only when the person we voted for is in authority, and then we speak just as disrespectfully when the person in authority is not somebody we voted for, we're being hypocritical. And we have to watch out for that. We have to be consistent. If we're going to seek to do what this verse says, and we're going to seek to call others to do what this verse says, we got to be consistent. we got to say it no matter who's in office, no matter who the president or the governor or, or whatever position of authority you're dealing with, no matter who's there. That verse doesn't change. That verse was written when a Caesar was on the throne. doesn't matter who it is. We have to honor those God puts in authority over us. So though we have more say, and we're grateful for this, right? Though we have more say in who our rulers are than Paul did, we don't have final say. We're not in control. But God is. And our ultimate allegiance is to Him. So if the government asks us to disobey God, then we must obey God rather than the government. But other than in those thankfully rare situations, our response to God's mercy toward us includes submitting to the government that God has put in place. That is a Christian duty. It is part of our spiritual worship. So let us pray for God's help to honor Him as we honor those that He has put in authority over us.